Welcome to episode 52 of Women of the Military podcast. This week, I'm talking to a fellow civil engineer who served in the Air Force for five years. We met at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base when we were both serving in the Air Force, and if you listen to the episode, you can tell that we were really good friends, and even though we don't get to talk very often, we still have a lot in common, and I'm just really grateful that Rachel took time out of her day to be on the podcast and to share her experience of being in the Air Force as a civil engineer, and I really hope you love the show. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Rachel and I served on active duty together as civil engineers at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and I'm excited to share her experience. I had a chance to interview her for my deployment series in 2017, which is where the original idea for the podcast started. So if you want to learn more about her deployments than what we talk about today, you can go to the show notes where I'll have the links to both her deployment to Manus and Honduras. She served in the Air Force as a civil engineer for over five years and is currently a professional engineer, blood pain manager, consultant at Cross Timber Consulting, rancher, beekeeper, racquetball player, wife, hopefully future mother, and born a green Christian. Welcome to the show, Rachel. I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you. So let's dive in with why did you decide to join the military? Okay, sure. So I graduated high school and I got a nomination to an academy. I hadn't really considered uh, the military or the academy. The only reason that I got those nominations was because I played competitive soccer and they introduced me. The coaches saw me play and they introduced me to the academy. And I thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity. I have some military in my family, but very limited. Uh, My grandpa and my uncle were prior uh, enlisted uh, in the Navy. And so uh, we've always had a respect for the military and very patriotic, our family. And so when the opportunity arose to attend an academy, uh, I couldn't turn it down. It was a really great opportunity and it was a really unique experience. It wasn't just like the standard college uh, type experience. And so when I got there, um, I quickly learned a lot more about the military and um, I was very excited to join. So it really started with soccer and the academy. So let's talk a little bit about the Air Force Academy. What was it like to be at the Air Force Academy and playing soccer? You know, I, I tell people a lot. They ask me about the academy. So I'm I, I work in a professional environment. A lot of engineers will ask you, like, where'd you go to school? Because they expect you to go to uh, one of the rival schools uh, here in Oklahoma. And I always say, no, I don't go to OU or OSU. I went to the academy and they're always like surprised, like, what? The academy. And so I, uh, I tell them that the academy is, I think, wasted on the youth. I wish that I had been a couple years older when I entered. I entered right as I turned 18. 
and um, you're young and you just don't take advantage of all the opportunities that is afforded to you. Uh, I had some really cool opportunities. I got to go uh, to Guam. I got to go to Africa. I got to do some cultural immersion. I had an excellent education. But, you know, as a kid, you, you know, sometimes sleep in too late and miss out on something that you should have done because all you think about was, you know, taking a nap, you know. And so I, I wish that I could have done it maybe when I was almost you know, maybe 1920 starting and then graduated at, at 24 instead of graduating at 21. But the experience was incredible. I mean, you, you get so many opportunities to do anything. There's a club for everything. Uh, you can't uh, compete with the education. You're very, very busy. I, I, most students would tell you uh, they go to college and they do, you know, 15 hours or something. I mean, we did 21 to 24 hours every single semester. And you have your military requirements, you have professional military education, you've got your intercollegiate athletics, which is like a huge portion of the amount of time that I spent there was on the soccer field training and stuff. So it's a really tough balance. I didn't do very well my first year. I had uh, a 2.0, barely. (laughs) And uh, by the time I graduated, I had over a 3.0 and uh, I was able to make up all of that. And it's just, you know, growing and, and becoming more mature and how to handle that kind of load. But I will say I left there much more prepared for uh, normal life, I would say, much more organized and quite um, a clean free. So uh, those three things I had definitely left with <laughs> from the academy. What base did you go to first after you commissioned into the Air Force? So I uh, was selected to go to Moody Air Force Base. And I would, uh, just a comment, so those that might be listening, that might be attending an academy, when it comes time to enter a base, if you get to enter a wish list, maybe check and make sure that those bases have military civil engineers or military whatever your career field is. Because I entered several bases that were completely civilian on the civil engineering side. So they put me in a geographical location as close to those as possible, which was kind of the swampland of South Georgia. And uh, Moody was uh, really cool. I had a really great squadron. It was a cool mission special operations mission. So we were always doing training and always having, op, you know, exercises. And there was always, you know, helicopters flying. It was really cool. But, um, but it was definitely hot. It was um, my first deployment was out of Moody. Um, I was there for two years. I don't think I spent more than a year on the ground. I mean, it was just really, really fast two years. Uh, so make sure that when you put in your wish list, you know, for sure that you could actually work there. <laughs> McDill does not have a military civil engineer. Yeah, and that's that's an important lesson to learn because not all career fields can go to all the bases. And at one time, you used to be a civil engineer could go to all the bases, but they've changed a lot and they've been contracted out. So that's important. Yeah. To know. Do your homework. <laughs> so you talked about your first deployment. Where did you go for your first deployment? So I was deployed to Kyrgyzstan uh, Transit Center at Manas, uh, which is now closed. They, they like to call it the gateway to Afghanistan. So a lot of troops would come in and spend a couple of days and then or deploy out of there to Afghanistan. Uh, we were pretty small and permanent party, but we could have up to 5,000 um, transit there. It was semi-permanent construction, so no tent city. And we, we did have a tent city there temporarily for a surge, but primarily it was semi-permanent um, type of uh, housing and construction. We were there at the airfield uh, for the capital of Kyrgyzstan. 
I was one of four civil engineering officers to include our squadron commander, our captain, and then two lieutenants. And we had a civilian a draftsman and designer, so professional engineers. And we had um, military uh, EAs, so engineer assistants, and then one civilian. So it was a pretty small group, but we oversaw about $50 million worth of construction annually. So it was a, a pretty big load. I learned more there as a civil engineer than probably any other assignment. Yeah, Manus is where I went when I was going to Afghanistan and coming home. And it was a nice little break from, especially coming home. I enjoyed it a lot more coming home. And I was there, I think we were there at the same time. I was there in February of 2010 and October-ish 2010. Yeah, I think you beat me there. I was there August 2010 to March 2011. Okay, so I was there in November for a few days. Not that we oh, saw it. yeah. We didn't even yeah. know that. So one of the cool things, so as a transient person that I was, I was only there for a few days. They advertised that you could go off base, but you had to be a permit party. So did you get to do that? Yeah. So let me just preface that by saying you worked six hour days, 12 hour shifts. So you were pretty tired. You had to really, really want to go somewhere. And so at the beginning of the deployment, you know, I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's try all these cool things. And so I got to go whitewater rafting. I went on this 10-mile mountain hike, which that was a one-time deal. Very beautiful, but wow, long trip on your one day off. They did have some where you would just go eat dinner, which were were more common as you got farther in your deployment because it didn't take as much time. And um, eating there, I was there mostly in the winter, and they had excellent soup and stew meals, like the best ever. So I would go out a lot and eat those on your day off. And trying to think if I had any real other excursions. I mean, those were, we had, we went bowling one time, but yeah, I mean, I went off base and, and if I could describe to you Kyrgyzstan and Bishkek, it's kind of like the infrastructure is a remnant of the old USSR, like the old Soviet infrastructure. And then the folks that live there are a combination of Kyrgyz, which have an influence from Tibet and some of the Asian cultures from China. And then the blonde hair, blue eyed type Russian influence. And then you did have a, just a little bit of Middle Eastern influence, but we were on the Northern border of Kyrgyzstan. So uh, that was very limited. The primary religion was um, some sort of Greek Orthodox type of Catholic, kind of close to Catholicism. Really everybody very friendly. Um, they spoke Russian or Kyrgyz and English was not something that was widely known. So you very rarely were able to communicate easily uh, outside of the base. I mean, it was definitely probably a better opportunity than like being able to go off base, let's say in Afghanistan. I mean, that's not, that's not even close, you know, in comparison, my experience there was much different than what yours was. I'm, I'm certain we've talked about yours. So. so, and then you were talking that you were working all the time and that you guys were managing all that money with just a few people. So what were some of the like bigger projects that you got to work on? So we had um, several large airfield projects. The, the biggest, the biggest projects were concrete airfield construction and they 
we had a little bit of an aggregate issue. There was some chemical problem with the local aggregate and the Portland cement. And so we actually did projects twice. So we built an apron for large cargo planes, troop carriers, and then it started to spall like within the first few months of construction. And so we had to tear it all out and use a different aggregate or a different mix of Portland cement because we couldn't bring in aggregate into the country. And so um, that was a challenge and the Corps of Engineers was involved in that. And that was, um, we had a big testing lab and a lot going on with that. Um, Red Horse came in and did a smaller apron with their forces. And uh, that one was more successful after we solved the chemical issue. One of my personal larger projects was the security forces entry gate. Uh, we, I did some design work on that. Um, and, and so I, I was very, at the time, I couldn't recall it now, but at the time I could almost recall all the AFI specifications on um, security forces entry gates and like distances and spacing and all of that stuff. I mean, it was it was a lot of information and that was pretty fun because, um, you know, we had a huge part in the mission was um, setting up parking and making sure it was safe and no terrorist activity could take place because you had all these bunkers and everything. So um, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. AFI is an Air Force instruction and they're the instructions that you have to follow when you do anything in the Air Force. But Rachel's talking specifically about like the security stuff. And then you also mentioned Red Horse, which people probably don't know what that is unless they're civil engineers in the Air Force. But Red Horse is like an expeditionary civil engineer unit. Did I do a good job of explaining it? Yeah. It's an acronym, but I can't remember. Yeah. It's an acronym, but it won't help you understand what it means. <laughs> it's like all these weird letters that don't mean anything. I mean, they mean something, but not to me. Or <laughs> So, but yeah, yeah. So that's cool that you got to do all that stuff while you were overseas. And Kyrgyzstan is like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. I was, oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's so pretty. Let's talk about your next appointment. The next appointment you went on was to Honduras. Yeah, so um, I got back to Moody uh, in March and I immediately had a deployment tasking. So I was already assigned to my next deployment. And it was Afghanistan. And an opportunity came available to take the short tour to Honduras. And the reason it came available to me as a second lieutenant was because I had shown an interest in going to Honduras um, or going on a short tour. I was looking to go on a short tour. And a short tour um, is about one year. Um, and it's typically not 100% expeditionary. Um, it's somewhere between contingency type operation and permanent construction. So you're more like the Kyrgyzstan type as far as uh, the, the way that we build and develop there. And it usually allows you to tap into Corps of Engineers support, um, additional funding opportunities and stuff like that. So, so I wanted to do a short tour. I really didn't want to go on a deployment because I had already gotten a really great deployment. And I knew that the odds were that I wasn't going to get a good one. And I'd already been tasked with Afghanistan. So at the time, I talked to are functional, which assigns, you know, where you go. And I had said, you know, what's going on with the short tour? And they responded to me um, and said, hey, somebody got medically disqualified to take this short tour. Are you still interested? And I said, yes. And so um, I left. I said, yes, my squadron commander approved it. And I I PCS, a short tour is a PCS, you the permanent change of station. I would not go back to Moody. And I left in August of 2011. I think that's right. Yeah. So it was August 2010 to 2011. Yeah. So yeah, August of 2011. And so I was on base from September 
2010 to August. Well, I guess it was September 2009 to August 2011. So, so not almost, almost two years. And out of that two years, I wasn't on base for more than a year at Moody. And now a word from our sponsors. It's always important to thank those who are serving or have served in the military. Their service and sacrifice deserves our appreciation every day. A special Veterans Memorial is being planned in Laverne, Minnesota. A full-size replica of the Vietnam War, Monument for 9-11, Iraq and Afghanistan, plus an education center will be a great way to honor our vets and educate the public. The education center will house displays, classrooms, a restaurant, chapel, and more. Your help is needed to create this amazing memorial. For more information, go to www.rememberrally.org. If you're still looking to get one last gift under the Christmas tree, consider getting a copy of Women of the Military. It makes a great gift for anyone, especially women veterans and women looking to join the military so they can hear the stories of other women. And now, back to the show. And then I went to Honduras, and it's an it's an Army base. Uh, it's Sotocano Air Base, so it's an Army base. There is an Air Force function there. Um, they're headquartered out of Arizona or New Mexico. I can't remember the headquarters. It was the 11th, something 11th. And um, there was a small Air Force contingency there. And we were responsible for the only C-5-capable runway in Central America. And so it was the only way to provide emergency aid to Central and South America in the event of a natural disaster. And their second mission, which is probably the larger mission, was drug interdiction. So there was a lot of helicopter type activity, a lot of special um, forces, DEA type agents, not just you know military, but other government agencies that came through there. And it was a really interesting um, base, a really uh, a really nice short tour. Things are very time is very different down there. You know, the sun always rose between five fifteen and five forty five. The sun always set around six p.m. You know, everybody showed up to work at like nine o'clock. Everybody stopped work about six o'clock, you know. So it was just a, it was a more of a routine there. Um, There was a lot of local nationals that worked for the base. The base was run off of four gigantic generators that had diesel delivered to them two or three days, two or three times a day. And so you would see at night, the cities kind of off in the distance. This was a little mountainous. So there was, you could see some cities like little, towns and their electricity would flicker on and off, but ours would stay on because of the uh, generators. And that was the only way we could ensure that we had um, electricity all the time. It was really nice uh, tour. I did a lot of work with the army. We we developed the first, well, not the first, but, but I, I was responsible for the planning and programming of um, all the base uh, construction from one to 10 years Airfield maintenance. We did a lot of inspections on the airfield and stuff like that. It wasn't not a lot of planes went through there, but you know, always preparing uh, in the event that we needed it. But but I, I really enjoyed that short tour. I was able to fly my husband out there for holidays two different times, um, and that was really nice. You don't get to do that when you're uh, deployed. Uh, short tour allows you to do that sometimes. But overall, it was it was a really good experience. So what did you do when your husband came out to see you? So we went to uh, Copan Ruinas, which is kind of a forest location for locals, and they have 
some Mayan or Incan ruins. I, I get those confused. No disrespect to Mayans or Incans, but I get that confused. But but they have some ruins there and kind of a tourist area. And then we went to Roatan, which is an island off of Honduras. And that's um, a lot of cruise ships stop in there. And that was really nice. And there was a third one. We did go on a weekend to Panama City. And so I got to see uh, the Panama Canal. And um, I really enjoyed Panama City. It was really nice. So those are the three spots. That sounds like a really cool vacation within a deployment. That's kind of yeah, cool. It was nice. Yeah, four days here, four days there. It was it was really nice. Did you have any challenges while you were in Honduras? Well, I mean, some funny challenges. So uh, even in Kyrgyzstan, uh, they had some heavy equipment. But in Honduras, uh, they had limited heavy equipment. I mean, you would have a, let's say, a house or a base lodging being built and there'd be men out there with shovels digging and using their feet to compact and um, mixing concrete in you know wheelbarrows by hand for an entire foundation I mean you're talking about a foundation that's like 30 cubic yards of concrete and they're doing it all by hand in the wheelbarrow there's a lot of things that would go on like that I mean that that we couldn't you couldn't really expect in the states that kind of construction and you, it's hard to even test, you know, with the results of that. You just hope it doesn't sink. That was a little bit of a challenge. You know, if we if we wanted to go anywhere in the country, like on the weekend, you know, it was two and a half hours to the capital. And it's not that it was that far in distance. It was that the infrastructure was so poor. It took two and a half hours to get there. We had to ride a bus uh, to and from the uh, the city there. Uh, it, it was a little bit of a challenge because, I mean, it was definitely a third world country. I know some people had a little bit of trouble with mugging. I never had that that problem. I never was I, I never got robbed or anything like that. But I mean not not like real challenges. Some of the things I got to do, I got to design a helicopter pad out like away from the base for the drug interdiction stuff. And that was a challenge because I had no soil data. I had no uh, I had no in- information at all about anything. So we just had to just estimate. It was just a guess on how we did it. And, and it, that was, that was kind of a cool challenge, but I mean, as far as like really challenging, I mean, no, it was, it was a really good experience, a really good deployment. That's good to hear. And I don't want to spend all our time talking about deployments because if people want to learn more, they can go onto the blog and read them. And it's been fun to hear because you told different stories than you wrote about like two years ago. So it's been (laughs) a fun conversation because I was reading through them this morning. Besides your deployments, and I feel like you moved around a lot or were gone a lot, did you face any struggles while you were serving in the military? Yeah, so I had an opportunity to think about this question. You know, struggles, I think, are pretty typical. And I mean, I don't want to speak for all women, but I would think that women probably experience similar struggles and that when you're in the service and you decide that you want to get married then you have this struggle of being gone and how you maintain that relationship. So I would say the biggest struggle for me in my personal life was I was married and the first year and a half of marriage, we didn't live together and we were separated geographically and it was a challenge. And on top of that, you know, if you're someone like me, I'm, I'm a religious person. I attend church. I'm a member of a local church. You can't establish those kinds of relationships when you're all over the map. I mean, literally. And so, you know, you are trying really hard to kind of establish roots and you can't because you're moving all the time. And that that was probably the biggest struggle 
the that struggle was alleviated when I left Honduras and I moved to Ohio and I started working for the headquarters because, you know, you didn't deploy out of there one on one. You deployed one to four. So, you know, I was there for nearly two years and didn't get a tasking. And so that was the first time in my military career that I wasn't moving, you know, and so that was really nice. And so that that was really something that ultimately I could tell the difference between the regular operational Air Force and then working at a headquarters. When I did get my deployment tasking, I kind of all rushed back like, oh, my goodness, I'm gonna have to be on the road again. This could be, you know, I'll have to PCS. We're going to be talking about being, you know, moving. And and so that ultimately is what led to uh, my decision to separate was was really just the, the impact on the family that that I didn't I didn't want to face that anymore. And your husband was not in the military. So you guys weren't separated because like you were at two different bases. He's a civilian the whole time, right? Yeah, he well, he served in the National Guard, but locally, okay. yeah, it was local. So yeah, he never had to move anywhere. We were not separated because he was stationed somewhere else. It was just that, I mean, he couldn't go with me on a short tour. He can't go with me on a deployment. You know, he has a career too. So asking him to pick up, you know, was, was hard. That, I mean, I, I can definitely understand why people that have spouses like you, you know, you guys both were in. I mean, that's really challenging too. Yep, that's why I left too. <laughs> so you kind of already told us a little bit why you left the military. Was it anything more than like being separated and like having just another deployment and life changing again? You no, know, I mean, that was it. I mean, I love my job. I loved what I did. I, I, I love the people I worked with. I love the role. I, I, I really enjoyed the professional structure uh, of the military. I mean, I, I didn't even know how much I enjoyed it until after I was gone. So yeah. uh, I really enjoyed it. And it was a sacrifice to give that up. Yeah. So when you transition, did you struggle <laughs> like oh. the rest of us? <laughs> I mean, you know, like I never, I didn't have like a separation anxiety or like who's going to do my taxes problem, but I did have like, how am I going to fit into this other operational structure? So when I separated, I actually went out of my civil engineering career field and I coached soccer at a college level and I got to the college and I was just floored. I was just couldn't believe, like, I was like, how do they even like work? Like there's no organizational structure. There's no chain of command. Like they don't even know who's doing what. Like, how are we going to accomplish this task if people aren't assigned duties? Like, you know, like it was it was completely eye opening. And, um, you know, and I will say like and I'm not ashamed to say this, like the military operates better. And I think that a lot of these civilian organizations could take a few lessons from how the military operates. And it was a surprise. And I was I was definitely considered abrasive. I was considered a typical personality like from the beginning and i think that you kind of are when you are in the military and a woman you just kind of are like an assertive sort of person and so in the military there's a lot of you and like a lot of men that way too so you get along easier but like and, and even if you do kind of like rub each other the wrong way you're just like oh, okay, okay whatever you're atypical i mean i like it but when you go somewhere else where you know people aren't like that uh, yeah, sometimes you can you can rub them the wrong way. And so I found myself getting a lot better about like talking with people one on one before I went to a meeting and started explaining like, you know, like maybe a group task that we were on um, trying to develop individual relationships to alleviate some of my abrasiveness. Uh, but but that was probably the biggest challenge. 
uh, just just my personality and dealing with non-military. And then now you're doing engineering work again. So why did you make the switch from coaching to engineering? Very simple. Coaches work a lot and get paid a little. Engineers get paid a lot more. And uh, I, so I, I was coaching. This is my second college I was at. They hired me as the campus engineer. And so I could get a pay raise. And then I was like, man, you know, this coaching thing's kind of fun. But like this engineering thing is a lot better. Like I can, you know, work a lot less, make a lot more. And so I was, I should have got my professional engineering uh, certificate back in 2013, back when we were there at headquarters. Mm-hmm. I could have got it. And I was like, nah, I don't want to get it. And so then, you know, in 2017, I was like, wow, I really should have got it because now I have to get it. So I spent uh, 2017 preparing for the test and I finally got it in 2018. But yeah, it, it just transitioning to the engineering was like a no brainer. It's just a better career field. For all those ladies listening, engineering is a great career field. And a professional engineering license. So to become a professional engineer, you have to take first an eight-hour test that is called the engineering and training, which usually you take like out of college yeah. or like me after you're in the Air Force. And then <laughs> um, to be a professional engineer, and that's kind of like a nationwide thing. So the EIT goes everywhere, but then each state has their own professional engineering exam. Most of the states are pretty much the same, except for like California and Florida, and there's probably other ones. But I got my my professional engineering degree in Ohio right before I think you came and yeah. it's also another eight hour test so yeah lots yeah. of fun. I should have <laughs> took I should have took your lead and I'm pretty sure then you were like you should take it and I was like yeah. ah, and I should have listened yeah you should have took it <laughs> I told you I told you so. I think I only have one more question and mm-hmm. it would be and I already know this part of the answer, but what would you tell young women who are considering joining the military? I would tell young women to do it, for one, because the pros outweigh all the cons. You know, try to go to an academy. If you can't go to an academy, go to ROTC, get a technical degree because uh, the pay is way better. But specifically in the military, not just career field related, but you know, stick to your principles. I think that that's really critical. You know, you leave your family and you go off on your own and you join the military, which is a huge organization. And there's a lot of moving parts and, you know, insert your principles into the organization. Don't, um, I'm not saying to be inflexible. I mean, learn while you're there, but you know, your principles and beliefs are what you're founded on as a child and, and, and take those and make the military better with those and and be a positive influence. Always greet people with a smile. You know, even if you're having a bad day, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Like you show up every day with your professional face on, customer service oriented, you are going to have a really great day um, while you're in the military. I think that's really important. Have tough skin as a woman. Um, You know, civil engineering was a male dominated career field. Military is a male dominated organization. Uh, have tough skin, accept criticism with grace and grow from it. And don't be afraid to give back criticism as necessary. Um, I think those are, are really big ones. Um, and then the final one I would say uh, is embrace your customs and courtesies. I must say that uh, I work for local government and a consulting firm now. When I greet people as sir and ma'am, they're shocked and they really. I, it op- 
it opens up the conversation because they feel like, oh, you you respect me from the beginning. Like it just it just makes like working so much smoother. I mean, you can disagree with a sir and a ma'am and a smile on your face. And it is really something important. And so customs and courtesies in the military, I think everybody should join the military for that because it just makes life so smooth, you know, take advantage of, of all that the military has to offer. I mean, I am, I am completely happy in my career now. I don't have a ton of debt. I had, I've had the opportunity to serve and learn. And, uh, and, and those would be the things that I would tell young lady to do it. That's awesome. And if you can't tell from listening to us talk, we had a lot of fun at Right Pat and yeah. I was really glad when Rachel showed up there. There was there was other women there, but I don't know, we just clicked and it was really yeah, fun. We to did. Hang out. We had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been great to get to talk to you again and see you since I haven't really saw you since my first son was born, which was a while ago. Yeah, on so, my birthday. Oh yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.